Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Father, we love you. Father, again, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for each person that's here. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and our counselor, who leads us in truth. Holy Spirit, we want to yield ourselves to you. Father, I pray that you bless each one of us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear. Father, give us a spirit of revelation and understanding so we can know you more. Speak to our hearts. Bless us with hearts that are like good soil to receive your word, and that it would take root and it would bring forth a harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold what's been sown into our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When my wife and I first got married, uh, we lived in Delaware, and we got an apartment, our, our first apartment, which was kind of a gross, dingy little apartment. We didn't quite realize it at the time. We were just excited to have an uh, apartment together, and I remember kind of getting settled in there as newlyweds, and one of the first times that my wife prepared dinner for our, our new little family, the two of us. And so life was, life was great. I'm, I'm newly married. My wife's cooking me dinner. We're gonna sit down at our own dining room table and have a meal together. And she told me tonight we're having chicken and dumplings. And so I was excited about that. And she let me know, hey, dinner is ready, up to the table. She serves up the chicken and dumplings. And as I was, was eating that meal, something kind of struck me as odd and I, I was a little confused as I was eating because I wasn't encountering any chicken in my chicken and dumplings. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm a good husband. You know, maybe that was just an anomaly, something weird. So I'll, I'll, I'll even have a second helping. I have a second helping and, you know, I very cautiously wanted to ask my wife a question about that. I mean, I'm, I'm no chef. What do I know? But I would think that if you're eating chicken and dumplings, you might encounter a piece of chicken every now and then. I, I don't know. So, so I asked her, hey, um, you know, with this chicken and dumplings, um, you know, I'm, should there be chicken in, in this? And she said, oh, no, no. I, I don't like chicken in my chicken and dumplings. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, everyone likes, likes stuff their own, their own way. To me, it's just eating, you know, soggy bread and just like eating gruel or something and trying, trying to pretend that, that I like it. Now, my wife is a wonderful cook. She's a gifted baker. She's gifted in so many different areas. She's a wonderful, wonderful wife. I'm just going to keep going until I get, I've got to counterbalance the, the hole that I've just dug myself in. She is amazing in every, every way. But I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone prepared a meal for you, they cooked for you, and as you went to consume the meal, you realize that there was some room for improvement. Have you ever been in that situation that you're eating it and you realize this person that they, they cooked, they've done the cooking, but they would benefit from some additional instruction on, on cooking, that they could improve, they could improve. Maybe you've been in a situation where somebody went through the trouble of preparing a meal for you, but when they served it to you, either 
you couldn't eat it or you just, you just wouldn't eat it. And it, you realize it was, it was a waste of their time. It was a waste of their resources. And so you're thinking, maybe you even say like, oh, oh you shouldn't have, but you really mean, no, you should not. This was a mistake. You should not ha- have, have done this. That even though they, they did cook, they were cooking, but the results of that cooking left something to be desired. And if they would be taught some things about cooking, they could have more pleasing results. They would, they would benefit from that. Now, that, that's actually kind of how we launched into this series on prayer, that there are people who, who pray, people who are familiar with prayer, but they're not getting the results that they desire. That even, even maybe they feel like, what, what is the point of praying? It seems like a, a waste of my time that I shouldn't even bother doing it because it just feels like I'm going through the motions. There's got to be something more to this thing that God has called us to do and given us this avenue. There's got to be more to prayer because I'm not, I'm not really seeing the results that I desire. Apparently, that's how the disciples felt. And we've looked at Luke chapter 11, the first couple of verses, says that Jesus was spending time in prayer. And when he finished praying, the disciples said, hey, Jesus, would you, would you teach us to pray? Kind of like the way that John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus began to teach them how, how to pray. And it wasn't that the disciples didn't pray. It wasn't that they weren't familiar with, with prayer. But like that person who knows that they do cook, they realize that the results of our prayer are different from what we're seeing in Jesus' life. As they watch Jesus pray, they realize it, it's like he knows. There's, there's relationship, there's intimacy as he talks to God. And the results that he has in his life, when he, pray, he prays, things are changing. So Jesus, in response to the request, does exactly what they, they asked him to do. He begins to teach them. He begins to teach them how to pray. We looked at at James chapter four early in this series where it says, you have not because you ask not. And even when you do ask, you, you still don't have what you ask for because you ask amiss. That there is a way to pray and a way not to pray. And so Jesus' response to this request wasn't just to tell them practice makes perfect or as long as you're doing it, that's what, that's what matters. He gave them this model prayer as an example of how to pray. Jesus was acknowledging they were right. There, there is more to prayer. Prayer was not designed to be some spiritual chore that you're supposed to do just for the sake of trying to keep God, God happy. There's supposed to be, prayer is an avenue to know God and to grow in our intimacy with him, to have real meaningful relationship with the almighty God. That's why we are given prayer. Prayer is supposed to be something that produces results in our lives. We looked at James chapter five, where it says the prayer of a righteous man or the prayer of a righteous woman has great power and produces wonderful results. That means when we pray, it's not just a cathartic, it feels good to get those emotions out and talk alone in our room. It's something way more than that. It's a way to access the power of God and to cause that power to contact a situation and that you can look at situations, you can look at circumstances and say, that. look at the way that situation is changing. That is the result of what my, my carrying it to God in prayer has produced has great power and produces wonderful results. But that's not what a lot of us or a lot of Christians have experienced in their prayer life. So we were taking time to study God's word, to study what Jesus taught on prayer so that we could have thriving, flourishing, fruitful, powerful, enjoyable prayer lives. We started looking at Matthew chapter six, where 
He gives the account of the Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up there. Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know, it's important to have good teaching. Teaching is something that changes situations in lives. There's times where where Jesus, the Bible will talk about him seeing the crowds, the multitudes, and he would have compassion, be moved with compassion. Sometimes he'd perform miracles, sometimes he'd feed them, but other times he he didn't multiply loaves. He'd look at the crowds and see, see them and see their need. It says he was moved with compassion and began to teach them. The teaching, having good Bible teaching in your life is one of the best things that you can have. You you need to know the word of God and how to apply it. What a benefit to have Jesus teaching us how, how to pray, to keep us from the frustration of futile prayer lives and just feeling like we're spinning our wheels. There's, there's a better way to pray. And Jesus gave us the Lord's prayer, not, not to complicate prayer. So if the enemies tried to use what we've been talking about in this series to make, am I doing this right? He didn't give it to us to complicate prayer, but to simplify prayer, to make it clear and easy, to bring clarity on the way that we approach God and how to get results in our prayer life. So let's go ahead and read a few verses and then we'll, we'll quickly review some of the things that we've already covered. Matthew chapter six, verse nine, it says, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we've kind of been taking this a little bit at a time. We started off with talking about the fact that Jesus said, if you want to be effective in prayer, the way that you approach God is not as, oh, eternal God, oh, powerful God, oh, mighty God. Those are all true attributes of who he is, and we should acknowledge them. But if we want to be most effective in prayer, above everything else, we approach him as our father. We took a whole Sunday to talk about what deep revelation of knowing God first and foremost. He's my father. He's my father. I'm his son. I'm I'm his daughter. I belong to him. He is my heavenly dad. And to know him on that level of relationship, that when Jesus would talk about God as, as father, the aspects of fatherhood, that he would choose to emphasize when comparing God to a father would always be the giving nature, the kind nature, the protective nature, the the goodness of a father. How much more so would your father in heaven give good gifts? Those are the elements he chose to magnify. So when we approach God in prayer, we've got to know him first and foremost as as our father, our father who art in heaven. We talked about the fact that he's, he's in heaven. God's in heaven. You can't see him. He's in a different realm. The Bible says that God is spirit. So when we begin to pray, we're leaving the realm of what you can touch and smell and see with your eyes. And we're actually stepping into the realm of faith. So it's good to know that and keep yourself as you proceed in prayer, keep yourself engaged, your faith active as you you continue to talk to the Lord and cast cares on him and throughout your entire time interacting with him. That he's, he's invisible to the natural eye. The enemy will try to get you to feel like you have no faith, try to get you to question your faith. 
the, the fact that you're standing in a room or kneeling in a room and talking to someone you can't see, either you are absolutely nuts or you are a man or a woman of faith. But we're not nuts. We're men and women of faith. So don't let him undermine and get you think, oh, I just don't have enough faith to really get any results. Yes, you do. You're, you're a person of faith by nature of you beginning my father in heaven. That's either crazy talk or it's faith talk. And it's faith talk. Amen. So we talked about our, our angle of approach and we talked about engaging in faith, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We talked about reverence. That yes, he's your father, but he's still God. Yes, he's your father, but that's not an excuse to be arrogant or flippant or sloppy, disrespectful in your your approach of God. We can come to him with confidence. We can come to him with boldness, but we still come to him with humility, acknowledging he he is God. He's the one who always has been and always will be. So we want to revere him. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We talked about the importance of priority, that his kingdom comes first, that you've got needs, you've got things, requests that you want to make, and there's a time for that, but his kingdom comes first and everything falls in alignment with his kingdom. We talked about the importance of praying for the kingdom of God to advance. If you want to revolutionize your prayer life, have the most fruitful year of prayer you've ever had, prioritize praying for the church, this church and the church at large. Pray for people to get saved and God's kingdom to advance. We, we talked about how in the pre- preceding verses, Jesus says, your father knows what you need, even before you ask. You can move the Father's heart. He knows what you need. And before you get to your needs, you begin to say, Father, you know what I need, but let's talk about what's on your heart. Father, let the lost be found. Use me to advance your kingdom. Father, give an anointing in my life that when I speak, people's hearts are turned towards you. Let the church grow. Let the lost be found. He knows what you need, but you're taking time to prioritize him. We said, if you want God to remember you, forget yourself. That creates a powerful man or woman of prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then a time for us to make our requests. Give me today my daily bread in alignment with his will. Then we took time to talk about the next line. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That God wants you to reject sin, part of the Lord's prayer, to, to be clean before him, to repent of sin. It's important that we don't play around with sin. God wants us to be clean. He's called us to walk in holiness, amen? That we reject sin from our lives. Forgive me of my, forgive me of my sin. God, I want sin removed from my life. Lord, clear me out. Deal with my heart when it comes to sin. Sin is nothing for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus to make allowance for or to mess around with in our lives. The Bible warns us that there are, there are people who think they're doing fine, that they go to church, they claim Jesus as their savior, but they're not willing to get rid of sin. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter six is one example, do not be deceived or don't be misled. Don't fool yourself and don't let anyone else fool you. It starts listing people that engage in kinds of sin, how they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It talks about idolaters, adulterers, fornicators, people who live sexually immoral lives. Don't be deceived. Those kinds of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you find yourself involved in any of those kinds of sins, you've got, you've got to bring correct, repent. Repent doesn't just mean say, I'm sorry. It means turn and go the other direction. Reject it from your life. Don't play around with, with sin because those kinds of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's, it's nothing to mess around with. If you're sleeping with someone who isn't your husband or wife, you're making a mistake. Repent, stop doing it, make things right. Amen. It says, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
People that allow themselves to get drunk. It's a mistake. Those kinds of people, those kinds of things are not worth messing around. It, it, it brings into question whether you're going to make it to heaven or not. We've got to have that kind of serious attitude when it comes to sin because the culture we live in is not the standard that we're going to be measured up, measured with when it comes to our relationship with God and getting into heaven. It's the standard of holiness. God, God said, be holy as I am holy, not slightly more holy than the people that you, that you live around. Those are just a couple of examples that are listed in that passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he lists, he lists others. Don't be misled. Those kinds of people, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's serious, and we need to be serious about it. Amen. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We, we took a long time to talk about that, making sure that we walk in forgiveness. We walk in mercy and grace and kindness that we're supposed to forgive others the same way that God has forgiven us in Christ. That's a high standard of mercy and grace to extend to people. And this is important because it's the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus immediately circles back to and says, listen, if you don't forgive other people, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. It's important that we walk in forgiveness. Don't hold grudges. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Don't get offended by people. The church has a bad reputation of being people who are easily offended. And the enemy has convinced religious-minded people to think that the easier it is to offend them, the more spiritual they are. That, that, that's a lie. When people think that they're pious and holy from being offended at every little thing. He told a joke that I did not feel like was appropriate. You're offended by it. I saw a post he made and it, it just disturbed my spirit. And they use all this religious jargon to how offended they are. That doesn't make you spiritual. That makes you immature. That a mature person, you, we should be people that it's impossible to offend us because we're walking in the same kind of mercy and grace that's been extended to us. So it's important we walk, we walk in forgiveness. The next line is verse 13. It says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to talk about that last verse, that last part of this prayer. But as we wrap up this series this morning, I want to do it in context of talking about the three primary, three primary aspects or elements, dimensions, of prayer. So if you're taking notes, you can just kind of list those, those dimensions and we'll see how the Lord's Prayer includes all of those dimensions, the three primary dimensions, three primary dimensions of, of prayer. The first one is fellowship and growth. The first dimension of prayer is for fellowship and growth. That, that prayer should not just be making a bunch of requests. That prayer is one of the prime ways that we grow in our walk with the Lord. Become a man of God, a woman of God, growing in relationship with the Lord. Prayer is an avenue to do that. And there's a time for making requests, but first and foremost, prayer is so that we can grow in our fellowship and grow in our walk with God. Think about Adam in the Garden of Eden. The Bible talks about how he would walk with God in the cool of the day. What, what do you think they talked about? He had no requests to make. He was living in paradise. Sin hadn't entered the picture there. So if prayer was just about making requests, just about binding and casting, and those are elements, but if that's all that it was, God would come to walk with him and he would just say, I've got, I've got nothing to say. But he was enjoying fellowship. He was enjoying talking to God for the sake of, of relationship. So that's a prime aspect of a dimension of prayer, fellowship, fellowship, and growth. There's really only four, four primary pillars of growing in your walk with God, and prayer is one of them. 
Just, just the basics. Prayer, time in God's word. If you want to grow in your walk with the Lord, just people are always looking for some kind of secret uh, way of growing in their walk with God. It's just applying the basics. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to spend time feeding on the word of God and being taught the word of God. The third one is Christian fellowship. You need to be surrounded, have real relationship with other men and women of God. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Our avenue of doing that, again, is is connect groups. If you're not in a connect group, I wanna strongly encourage you to get in one. And if you are in one, be all the way in. Be committed to that group of people. Love that group of people. Let yourself be known. Sharpen them, allow them to sharpen you. Be all the way in that group. It's one of the primary ways, one of the four primary ways that we grow as men and women of God. The fourth one is through serving. Getting your eyes off of yourself. Moving beyond you. Serving, giving, being outward outward focused. It's one of the primary ways that we grow. If you're not serving in, in, a, in our church, I wanna encourage you to serve. If you've gone through growth track, but for whatever reason you're not serving, start serving again. If you haven't gone through growth track, Next week happens to be growth track. At 11 o'clock, classroom three, got it this time? 11 o'clock next week, upstairs, classroom three. Go through growth track. We'll help, help you find your gifts, help get you plugged in where you can begin serving. If you're not serving, you're stunting your own growth. You're limiting your growth. You're, you're running on like 75% of the key avenues for growing as a believer. It's gonna help you move forward when you get, begin to pour in and invest in others. So those are the four, but today we're talking about prayer. You need to have time where you're not just praying over your food or asking for a a good parking spot as you're pulling into a a parking lot. Those are fine prayers, but you need to have time that you carve out, you get alone, you've got a spot, you've got a time, time in the secret place, time alone with the Lord. He who abides in the secret place of the Most High. You've got to abide there, spend time where it's just you and the Lord in the secret place. I use this analogy a lot, but it's just the way I think almost every time that I spend time with the Lord. The idea of him being the potter and me being the clay. And I've got to have time where I put myself in his his hands and give him time to mold and shape and pull things out of me that need to come out of me, to change things that need to be changed. That's a process. I've got to spend time just fellowshipping with the Lord and allowing myself to be developed and shaped and formed to become more and more like Jesus. That happens primarily in the secret place with the Lord. Listen to this passage from Psalm 139. Verse 15, it says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made or when I was formed, where? In the secret place. I was woven together in the depths. So in that, in context, it's talking about when you were created. It's the same passage that says, I I was fearfully and wonderfully made, that I was knit together in my mother's womb, that you you knew my days. It's that same passage. So on one level, it's talking about you you were made in the secret place of your mother's womb, but there is a principle there that we can apply to the secret place of intimacy with the Lord. Just like physically you were formed and developed in the secrecy of your mother's womb, spiritually you are are formed and fashioned and developed in, in the secrecy of time alone with the Lord. If you want to grow, you've got to have time in prayer. It's one of the primary aspects of of prayer is for Again, not not just requests, not just binding and casting out, fellowship, just fellowship with the Lord. As an earthly parent, if you have children, of course you you want to answer their requests. You want to meet their needs. You want to take good care of them. And we'll talk about requests. But you don't want that to be all your relationship is about. 
You want to enjoy fellowship. You want to have conversations and just enjoy, enjoy knowing one another. And God wants that with you. So one of the primary dimension or one of the primary dimensions of prayer is fellowship, fellowship and growth. You grow when you pray. You develop when you pray. The book of Jude talks about praying in the Holy Spirit. You, you build up your most holy faith as you're, as you're doing what? As you're praying, using your prayer language, praying in the Holy Spirit. The second dimension Second aspect is obtaining promises and making requests. So the first one in the Lord's Prayer, just the beginning, fellowship and growth. My Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're just taking time. Father, I love you. Thank you that I can call you Father. It's so good to know you. I love being able to come to you and talk to you. Lord, you're so good to me. I love you, Lord. I love your ways. You're just fellowshipping with him. You move on to the next aspect, the next dimension, obtaining promises Bringing my request, give us today our daily bread. Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those. There's a time for making requests. Let, let me read to you from John chapter 16, starting in verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is talking about the incredible privilege that was gonna be opened up to believers that, that we don't even go to Jesus to make requests. He said he's making a way that you and I can go directly to the Father and with the name of Jesus in his name, we can make requests. And when we ask, it says the Father wants to give us, wants to answer our requests. He says that your joy may be full. He's a good God. He wants to take care of you. And prayer is more than requests, but that is an important aspect of prayer. It's not unholy to make requests. We're instructed in God's word to cast our cares on the Lord. Philippians chapter 4 says to be anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to the Lord. So there is a time where we present our, our requests. God wants your joy to be made full. He doesn't want you carrying around burdens and being stressed. He wants to take good care of you. And we give him access, we give him the ability to do that, how? Through the avenue, through the avenue of prayer. Again, James says, you have not, why? Because you ask not. Matthew chapter seven, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. There are things that God wants to do in your family, in your life, things to show you, things to open up, opportunities to bring you that people go without unless they, they make use of prayer. God doesn't force his way into situations. He's given us the avenue of bringing him in and it's through coming to him in prayer. Of course, our requests have to be in line with his word, the importance of knowing God's word, that we're making things in line with his kingdom not just asking for crazy things and selfish desires, but things that are in line with the word of God. That we find scriptures, we present our case. The Bible says, put me in remembrance. We remind God of his, of his word. So we find verses, we stand on them, we make those requests to the Lord. But just because you found a verse, just because you can quote a verse, just because you've, you've found a promise in the word of God doesn't mean that it's necessarily yours. That you, you've got to spend time in prayer, not, not just locating it, but then going to God with it. Let me read to you from Obadiah chapter one. Everybody's favorite book of the Bible. Obadiah chapter one, verse 17, it says, but on, the Mount, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. 
The house of Jacob will do what? That, that they will possess their possessions. That means there are things that can belong to you, but you don't necessarily have possession of them. That there is an act of beginning to possess what already belongs to you. That's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to keep you separated from the things that belong to you. God's desire is that his people wouldn't just have these ethereal possessions in the spiritual realm. He wants you and I to possess our possessions. That we don't just know about the verse, that's good. We don't just quote the verse and memorize the verse, those things are good, but we also need to bring our requests to the Lord. Father, your word says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Father, I don't have a wife, and I know that no good thing do you withhold from those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So here's what I'd like to see you do about my situation, that I just didn't locate a promise and think about it. I'm bringing it to the Lord in prayer. I'm just giving you an example of ways to find promises and not just say, oh, that's nice. I've got a responsibility to do something with it. And one of the things I do is I bring it to the Lord as, as a request. In, in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, it says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That there, there is a receiving, that you have something. You receive it and then you have it. It belongs to you and then you, you lay hold of it. What is the avenue for receiving and having that Jesus is talking about? That when we go to God in prayer, that we receive and have through the avenue of prayer. So one of the, one of the avenues or one of the dimensions is for fellowship and growth. The second one is obtaining promises, making requests. The third one is declarations. Declarations or using, using the authority. And this is where we'll have a little overlap with that last part of the Lord's Prayer, verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, part of that is understanding that you and I have a responsibility not to lead ourselves into temptation. Before I ask God, don't lead me into temptation, I need to make sure that I'm not leading myself into temptation. We've got to be wise about the situations we put ourselves in. Don't put yourself in a situation where it would be very easy to compromise or hard not to compromise. Be shrewd about what's around you, who's around you, the things that are accessible to you. If you've got a problem with alcohol, you would be foolish to have lunch at a pub. Just stay, stay far away from it. Don't put yourself in an environment where you have access to it. Don't spend time alone with someone of the opposite sex unless you have a marriage covenant with that person or, or they are your child. Just be shrewd about those situations. If you're not married, if you're dating somebody and you're keeping yourself pure, which you should be, don't be alone in a car or alone in an environment. Be, be wise about these things. If you have a hard time controlling what you look at online, then maybe down in the basement isn't the best location for your computer. Maybe you need some accountability things on your phone. I'm, I'm just throwing out examples that we've got to make sure that I'm not leading myself. You're not leading yourself into compromising situations because that's where people fall into sin. Before I ask God, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. Don't, don't lead yourself into temptation. You use some wisdom, but we also have the avenue that we can go to the Lord. Lord, lead me not into temptation. What a good God. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. That we can come and ask for mercy and grace and strength to be strong in our, in our fight against the enemy. 
And God wants us to do that. But I, I want to focus this morning in our last couple of minutes on one particular aspect of how to resist temptation and how to experience deliverance from, from the evil one. The part of going to God and asking for deliverance is also acknowledging what has already been accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, that for this reason was the Son of God made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That Satan has been defeated. Freedom has been opened up for you and I, I to walk in. We've been given authority. So it's not just asking God to do it, but taking responsibility for what God has already done and standing in that uh, authority, walking in victory over over the enemy. Satan has been defeated. So you and I can walk in that authority. In James chapter four, verse seven, it says to resist the devil and he'll do what? He'll flee from you. So you and I have, have a responsibility and a role to play in driving the enemy away from us. When he's coming to tempt, when he's coming to whisper suggestions in your ear and your thought life, or maybe he's just coming to try to push you down and defeat and remind you of past failures, tell you how you're not good enough, what a failure you are, whatever he's doing against you, we're supposed to resist him, and if we resist him, then he'll begin to flee from us. But that word resist doesn't mean to take some passive-aggressive, silent posture where the enemy's hassling, harassing you, and you just are, are, are quiet and try to ignore him, and hopefully he'll go away. That, that's not what the meaning of the word is. It means to respond with, with a opposing pressure and opposing power, that you don't stand there silent when the enemy's trying to get you to fall into temptation or trying to beat you down with condemnation, that you open your mouth and you begin to speak. And, and if he's whispering things, you begin to say, combat those lies with the truth of God's word. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood that there is a spiritual realm, there are spiritual principalities and powers that we are up against. And then it, it doesn't just tell us that and leave us in some depressed, creepy state that we're up against these evil powers. It tells us what we can do to make sure that we stand our ground, that after everything the enemy can do to us, you and I are still standing strong in victory. Amen. Amen. And it, it tells us to put on the full armor of God. And it starts to talk about the different elements, the different aspects of the armor of God. One of them is the shield of faith. And it says with the shield of faith, we can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. And then it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, specifically the spoken, the spoken word of God. That you and I have been equipped with a weapon that isn't just carrying the word of God, but it is speaking the word of God. That we begin to declare things and speak truth and allow God's worth to come, to come out of our mouth. So there is an element of prayer where we're not even talking to God, an element of prayer where we begin to talk on God's behalf to things and to situations, begin to exercise the authority that God, that God has given us, declaring, declaring those truths. Let me read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Verse four, it says, where the word of a king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Now, maybe that doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But when you take into account some other passages of scripture, like Revelation chapter five, where it tells us that God has made us unto himself a nation of kings and priests to reign on the earth. Or 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says that we are a royal, a royal priesthood. That that's who we are in Christ. There is royalty. When you're talking royalty, what are you talking about? Kings and queens and princes. 
That we're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, that through Christ we've been positioned to do what? To reign in this life. The Amplified Version says to reign as kings in this life. Now with those things in mind, when you read Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And you begin to see yourself, not as some peasant talking about someone else, but understand God has positioned you as a son, as a daughter of him, that you are royalty. That you are to reign in this life. So that means where your word is, there is power power. It's interesting that it doesn't just say where a king is, there is power. It says where the word of a king is, there is power. So a king has authority, but if he's going to stand there and not open his mouth, that, that authority goes unexercised. It's where he opens his mouth and begins to speak where the word of a king is. That word carries his power. So where you and I are as, as kings and queens, as princes in the kingdom of God, where your word is, there, there is power in your words. I, I've said it several times that if you only had the first couple of pages of the Bible. That, that's all that you had to understand who you are and who God is. One of the things you could come away with with just reading the first couple of pages of the Bible is that when God speaks, things happen. That there is power in the word of God. There's a creative force that God just spoke things. If you had nothing else to go on, I understand that when God speaks, th things begin to change. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke the earth into existence. That's one of the things you'd understand. And then you turn the other page that you have and you read how you were created in his image. And you'd have to come away with the understanding that when I speak to, there's a creative power in my words. And that, that's not just some stretching of, of, of those those, those revelations. It's exactly what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, or I'm sorry, verse eight, chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life aren't, aren't just limited to some military force. Death and life, it doesn't say are in a gun, are in a knife, are in a weapon, are in a politician. It says death and life are located, they are in the power of the tongue. And you and I are supposed to use that shrewdly and intentionally to open our mouths and, and speak, to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to make declarations over situations, to exercise authority and to speak the word of God. So there's a time to go to God in fellowship, a time to talk to God and make requests. But there's also a time where we stop talking to God and we talk to things on his behalf like Ezekiel did in the Valley of Dry Bones. God said, speak to these bones and commanding them to live again. Well, why didn't God just speak himself? God had spoken the same thing. Why didn't they come alive then? I don't know. But the way that God has arranged it, he wants to fill your mouth with his words and allow you to participate in wielding his power on earth. That when I begin to speak out what God has already spoken, when it fills my mouth, that's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And when God begins to use a sword through you, there is power. Power of life and death is in the tongue. Look at the prayer life of Jesus. There are times when Jesus just talked to the Father. All night long, he'd go up on a mountain and just fellowship with his Father. He enjoyed intimacy with the Father. But there were other times where he stopped talking to the Father and he spoke to trees and wind and corpses and fevers and leprosy. When he, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, came to the tomb, people thought he was nuts, told him to open the tomb. He's, he's been dead four days. It's gonna smell terrible to open the tomb. And Jesus paused for, for a moment. Like he, he just wanted just another moment with the Father. Father, I, I thank you that you hear me. Father, you're so good to me. I know that you always hear me. He's just taking a moment just to, just to enjoy fellowship. But then he stopped speaking to the Father. 
and he spoke to that dead man's body. And just to make it clear who he was talking to, he called him by name, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. He was using the power of life was in his tongue and he called, called that man to come alive again. Like when he sat next to Jairus' daughter after he'd put the mourners out and he said, little girl, little girl, rise. And she came back to life and he said, give her, give her something to eat. There's a power of life and death and it's in your tongue. There are times where we speak death to situations that need to be cut off. Like Jesus did to Peter's mother-in-law's fever when he rebuked it and commanded to leave her. He was, he was using the power of death in a positive way to liberate someone from a force that didn't belong there. He was using that force. Fever, I rebuke. You've got to leave her. I command you to go. He spoke to the wind, commanded to stop. Spoke death to it. Death, wind, you have to cease now. Cursed a fig tree, amazed his disciples. We spoke death to a fig tree. May, may no one ever eat of you again. And it withered and died. But then he spoke life in other situations. Interrupted a funeral procession. Called Lazarus out. Brought healing to people. You and I have that same power. And we've got, we've got to exercise a third dimension is making declarations. I don't know what things in your life need a word of death spoke over them so they, they leave your family, leave your body, quit, quit harassing you and you separate yourself. You've got a sword, but it doesn't do any good if it just remains in its sheath all the time. The way you use that sword is by opening your mouth and beginning, beginning to speak, to declare the word of God. Maybe you need to speak death to, to dissension in your family, to strife that's pulling relationships apart. You need that spirit to leave. There's a spirit of fear that plagues people. You need to speak to it and command it to go, just like Jesus spoke to things, and they had, they had to stop their operation immediately. Maybe there's situations you need to speak a work, word of life to, over your own body, over your children. You take the word of God, you let it fill your own mouth, and you begin to apply it skillfully, like someone who's skilled with a sword, death to where death belongs, life to where life belongs that we've got a responsibility to do that. Part of, of walking free from temptation, being delivered from evil, is using the power that God has given you. Spirit of lust, I command you to leave me and never return. Spirit that causes me to be drawn towards alcohol, pornography, whatever it is, tries to drag me into temptation. Every yoke that comes on me and tries to steer me the wrong direction, I destroy you now in Jesus' name. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for what? The demolishing of strongholds. That you and I have that ability, but we've got to exercise it, and we exercise it through declarations, declaring the word of God, speaking the word of God. speaking life over ourselves. Father, I know health belongs to me. With long life, you'll satisfy me and show me your salvation. I will not die, but I'll live and declare the wonders, declare the glory of God. By the stripes of Jesus, healing belongs to me. I claim it. Father, I thank you for healing. It's one of the benefits of serving. You forgive all of my sins. You heal all of my diseases. There's times where you're not just talking to God, you're speaking to yourself, speaking to situations. Look at yourself in the mirror. Begin to declare the word of God over yourself. Agree with what it says. I go from victory to victory and strength to strength. The greater one lives in me. The Lord is my shepherd. That means I, I'll never want, I'll never, I'll never lack with him as my shepherd. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. I'm, I am anointed. I have an anointing from the Holy One. 
I have, I am anointed. I'm equipped. I'm empowered. I'm set apart. God has a special calling on my life. I'm not just here. I'm here for a purpose. You just begin to speak the word of God over yourself. You have the power of life. You, you, can, you can infuse life into yourself by declaring the word of God. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It goes back into fellowship and growth. Father, it's about you. It's about your kingdom. For your glory, it's your power. I don't even have to muster up the power. It's your power. It's for your glory. Everything's to honor you. Father, I love you. Returns back to fellowship. Fellowship and growth. Presenting requests, declarations. Right back to fellowship. Lord, I love you. Your kingdom your power, for your glory, forever, God, forever. God, I get to know you forever. Here's what I want to do. In a couple of minutes, I want to make some declarations and just put that, put it into practice. But as we wrap up this series, I want to give you really quickly two rules of engagement as you engage in prayer, the right mindset or the right approach. Number one is this. I'll just give you two. Number one is approach from the standpoint of the love of God. As you begin to pray, this goes hand in hand with our Father, how Jesus began things. Make sure as you engage in prayer that you are approaching, a rule of engagement is approach from the standpoint of the love of God. God loves you. He loves you. He doesn't withhold anything from you. You're not trying to get God to love you. As you pray, you're not wringing your hands, trying to convince him that you're not bad. If it weren't for his love, you couldn't come to him in prayer in the first place. Come from the standpoint that he loves you that you're forgiven, that you're clean, that you're special to him. Let, let that be your stance or your approach. One time Peter was waiting for lunch to be ready and he had a vision of these animals being let down, these animals that were considered unclean. You know the story from the book of Acts. And, and God told him, rise, kill, and eat. And he said, no way, there's like pigs in there. I'm not, those are unclean animals. And God told him, don't call unclean what I have called clean. That, that, that was a revelation, not just for being able to eat pork. He was talking about people. Don't call people unclean when I have, when I have declared that they are clean. That's not just other people. That's you too. Don't see yourself as unclean. Don't see yourself through a, a lens of your past mistakes, of sins that you've committed, of your shortcomings. Don't call unclean what God has said is clean. It's not humility, it's doubt. And it's not pride to believe the things that God's word says about you. That's how faith operates. Begin to see yourself, find some way to believe what God's word says about you, that you're special, that he loves you. You're his son, you're his daughter, you're anointed, you're gifted, you're talented. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you. He just enjoys fellowship with you. You don't annoy him. He loves it when you come to him. Believe what God's word has to say about you. Approach prayer from the standpoint of the love of God. Number two, approach from the standpoint of victory. That when you engage in prayer, you're not trying to acquire something. It already belongs to you. You're not trying to win. You're not trying to get blessed. You are already blessed. You're stepping into that prayer as a victorious man, as a blessed woman. The Bible says you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings 
in Christ Jesus. You are already blessed. And it doesn't sound like a huge deal, but it changes the aspect of faith when you engage in prayer. When you come to it, when you come to that prayer already knowing it belongs to you, I'm already in victory. Now I'm just gonna see a manifestation of something that has already been accomplished. Think about David going up against Goliath. When David fought Goliath, before he started swinging that sling around, he told Goliath, here's what's gonna happen today. I come to you not not with weaponry. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Here's what's gonna happen. I'm going to slice your head right off of your shoulders. That's what's going to happen. And then I'm gonna give the bodies of all of your men to the birds of the air for them to feast on. That, that's walking in victory. He wasn't talking trash. He was, saying, he was just giving a, a, an explanation. Here's how today is going to go for you and for your men. He, now, he still had to fight. He still had to produce that, but he was already walking in victory. When you go in prayer, you're, you're not trying. You're not trying to step into victory. You're already in victory. You're not trying to get blessed or acquire a blessing. You're just looking for a manifestation of something that has already been established. It, it, it's like getting the receipt for something that's already been purchased. It's just a, a proof. It's just a, a revelation of something that is already a truth. It's already a reality. When you uh, approach prayer, engage with prayer from the standpoint, I, I'm already, I go from victory to victory. I, I already am. You're not trying to get victorious. You are victorious. Now you're just commanding stuff to bear the fruit that already should bear. I've got a blueberry bush in my yard. It doesn't have to try to be a blueberry. It just, it is. It's, already, it's a blueberry bush. That's just a matter of bearing the fruit that reveals what it is. You, you are victorious. Not just about revealing what you, what you already are. You don't have to try to become it. You begin to, to bring that fruit. Amen? Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.